G'day everyone, my name is Jacob. I'll be reading from Mark chapter 1, verse 21 to 34, and it is page 812 in those church Bibles. They went to Capernaum, when, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching? And with authority, he even gave gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. This, uh, you, you can't get plastic straws in the shops anymore, at least the disposal. This is a hard plastic straw. <clears throat> Have you ever tried breathing through a straw? Anyone? Yes? No? It's very hard. At first it doesn't seem that bad, but the longer you do it, the more you realise you can't actually get a a full, proper breath of air in there. And forget about running around and breathing through a straw. It's, it's, It's no good. That's what breathing was like for Neville. When I was growing up, Jenny and Neville lived nearby... Um, and they were like a third set of grandparents to me and my sister and my brother, which is kind of a, it's, it's, it's probably a harsh thing to say to them because they were only you know, five or ten years older than my own parents. Um, th- they were in our lives all the time, though. And although Nev had never smoked a cigarette, although he was a, a, a fit and healthy guy, Nev had emphysema. Uh, he didn't smoke, like I said, he didn't smoke, he had it as a, as a hereditary thing. It's a chronic disease, emphysema, it affects the lungs. Uh, I don't understand all the medical stuff around it, but it makes it feel like over time, eventually you're breathing through a straw that just gets more and more narrow the longer life goes on, trying to suck in air, but you just can't get enough. As I say, Nev had always been a fit and active guy, but eventually this disease just just whittled away at him. He stopped being able to go out and uh, run around. Play hockey was his thing. Uh, It forced him eventually to have to be strapped up to oxygen for most of the day. And then he couldn't get out of bed. And finally it took him. I watched this happened to, to Nev throughout my life, but particularly in my high school years. And I remember sitting there thinking, this, this sucks, this is not good. Why does stuff like this happen? 
Why doesn't God step in and stop it? Of course, it's not just Nev, is it? There's stuff like this going on all around the world that makes you think, why? Surely God would put a stop to this, wouldn't he? Like just last week, did you hear of the guy who went into the daycare in Thailand, killed 37 people, over 20 kids included? Shocking, it's horrible. There's floods right now sweeping through Victoria, New South Wales and Tasmania. At least one person's life has been lost. Countless homes, property. And I'm sure that you've felt this in your life somewhere too, haven't you? Suffering. Evil in our world. Throughout, uh, and you said before, throughout August and September, uh, people from our church, we, we went around and we asked this question to our friends that's on the screen there. What would make God worth believing in? And one of the really common responses was this one. God, God, yeah, God might be worth believing in if he dealt with suffering and evil. I'm going to put a few of the responses that came through on the screen here. This is what some people were saying. If terrible things didn't happen to innocent people. If there were no cancer in children. If something could be done about anxiety. When things are made right in the world. If God did something about those things, he would be worth it. He would be the kind of God you could get behind. He would be a God who's worth believing in, right? So does he? That's our question today. Does God do anything about this? Is he actually worth believing in? What does the Bible say? Uh, I've got two kids. You can see them running around probably at some point. They're up there though. Eve is six. Isaac is three. Um, I reckon every kid gets to a point in life where they ask one question, and the question is, why? 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 Uh, My kids are no different, but this Father's Day, my daughter Eva, she got me this mug. Uh, It's great. At the top there it says Dad. You can probably read it, but underneath there's a whole bunch of writing. These are things that apparently I'm good at. Uh, like holding hands, tick, yep, got that one. Uh, killing spiders, uh, maybe not so much. <laughs> I'd prefer someone else do that. Singing in the car, yes, I can do that. Uh, well, at the bottom, though, it says, is a knower of everything. Now, I can tell that you obviously all agree with that, can't you? But truth is, I'd like to believe it's true. It's kind of not, though. So sometimes my kids will ask me the, the why question, why, why, why? And they'll get an answer like this. Well, just because. And that's a pretty disappointing answer for them to get. They want to know why. When it comes to this question of God and suffering, often that's the question we want to ask, isn't it? Why? Why, God? Why did you let this happen? Why didn't you do something differently over there? Why? When we turn to the Bible, we might find the answer a little disappointing. It's not, friends, that the Bible has nothing to say. 
It's just that the answer may not be what we're looking for. Can I explain this to you? Let me explain it a bit more. The Bible gives us a general reason for why there is evil and suffering in the world. It's a general reason of why there's evil and suffering. Right at the start of the Bible, in a book called Genesis, it talks about God making a very good world. It's full of beauty and life and creativity. It's a paradise, nothing wrong, no evil, no suffering. But then the Bible tells us that the people God made, they, they stage a revolt against God. You've probably heard about it, the story of, of Adam and Eve and the forbidden fruit. But the basic gist of the story is they decide, the people, they want to ignore God. They don't want to do what he says. They want to do things their own way. And so that's how they live. Friends, that is what the Bible calls sin. Deciding that you want to ditch what God says and go your way. And that's how people have lived ever since. We're, we're happy to get good things from God, the good things that are in his world, but we also tend to ignore him most of the time. We want to do things our way rather than obey him. Right back at the start of the Bible, when this, when this first happened, it, it, it broke things. It put a curse on God's world. And that's why there is evil and suffering all around us. Natural disasters. Illness, diseases, a brokenness about the world. As part of that, it's also not just stuff out there. It, it's broken people as well. See, relationally now, we're out of step with God, but also we're out of step with each other. We still have this capacity to do great good, but at the same time, we hurt one another, don't we? We, we make selfish choices. You think about this for a moment. Um, how much suffering or evil in this world is caused by people? Not everything. There's still diseases. There's still natural disasters. But a big part of the suffering is it's, it's human on human. It's us hurting one another, isn't it? The guy from Thailand who takes his gun to a daycare. Putin just sending his troops off to war. Or even me. Not that I've done something that should mean I end up in jail, but, but in moments of frustration and anger, haven't I said things to hurt other people too? But what about my greed? Like, I know the needs of the flood victims in Pakistan or the needs of the people in Afghanistan and Nigeria who are going through famine. And I, spend it pretty e I find it pretty easy to spend, say, 30 bucks a week on coffee, but, but I find it so hard to give 30 bucks a week away to those people. There's greed in my heart. If something's going to be done about suffering, about evil, then something needs to happen to me. The, 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 the human problem, it needs to be dealt with. 
I'm as much as part of the problem as anything else. More on that soon. But the big thing I want you to see here is this. The Bible is telling us, generally speaking, why there's evil and suffering in the world. And it goes right back to the start, where humanity revolted against God, and it meant that the world is now broken. It's out of shape. Which is probably not the answer we want to get, is it? I told you before about Nev. Um, I want to know why Nev had to go through those years and years of slowly his lungs just working less and less. Why him? Why not somebody else? Why didn't God step in? And maybe he's not going to stop all bad things, but why didn't he step in and stop that thing? And here is what might be a disappointing thing for us. But the Bible rarely tells us the answer to that why question. It's very rare for the Bible, in the Bible, for God to give specific reasons for something happening. Occasionally, some people are told why this particular evil or suffering has happened. Occasionally. But it's rare. And the Bible doesn't give us specific reasons for specific moments today. And that might feel like a disappointing answer. Because we want to know why. That's not that that's a wrong question to ask. It's just that we don't get an answer from the Bible. So, does that mean then that we are left with no response from God? Is God not worth believing in after all? If you'll let me tell you, I want to go on with a little bit more of why I'm convinced actually, no, God is worth it. Even on this question, God is worth it. Here's one really key part to the puzzle. God promises to deal with suffering. I'm a few slides behind. There we go. God promises to deal with suffering and evil. Just before I took you to the start of the Bible, now let me take you to the end of the Bible. End of the Bible, the last book in the Bible is a book called Revelation. Uh, It's written by one of Jesus' 12 disciples. His name is John. And and God, it's like God gave John a peek behind the curtain, a look into what's going to happen right at the very end. And it is incredible. Take a look here. This is John speaking. This This is what God shows him. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, some of that imagery might get lost on us. That's okay. The real key part's coming up here. It goes on. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he'll dwell with them. They'll be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. 
It's a stunning picture, isn't it? One thing I never want to do in life is a home renovation. I'm not terribly handy around the house. It'd be a disaster, and I just do not want that. But can I say, I do understand why people do renos. Uh, at the moment, we don't own our place, we're just renting. And even at this place, I look around and I think, there's so much I'd want to do here, so much I'd want to change. I completely do over our backyard. I get rid of this spa that's in the bathroom. It's a waste of space and doesn't really get used. I'd change where the dishwasher is. I'd put lights over the kitchen sink. Uh, you don't need to hear all this stuff, do you, I guess? But I wonder if most of us here think the same. If we could, there'd be stuff we'd change about our place. God is like that. He looks at the world and, and he sees the brokenness, the evil and the suffering that's here and God hates it. God hates it more than you and me because it's his good world that's been ruined. And so he says, all right, I'm going to change things. And we just read, that's his renovation plans for the world. He says it's going to be a new creation. You know, at the start of the Bible, we saw how everything got mucked up, how it brought disease and sickness and disasters and anxiety and evil. It brought death and mourning and crying and pain. But here at the end of the Bible, God promises, I'm going to do my renovation and it's going to be gone. I'll get rid of it. Evil and suffering will be there no more. God promises to deal with suffering and evil. At which point, you might be thinking, great, wonderful. But why not do something sooner? Why not do something now, God? Why not get on with it so we don't have to put up with this muck any longer? I think that's the right question to ask. And again, the answer here, it, it, it might not be, I don't think the Bible gives us one clear, simple answer. But we do get a couple of hints. Let me take you to one of them now. We're going to go to a part of the Bible called Luke. Uh, Luke wrote a biography of Jesus' life. Uh, and in chapter 13, he records how this one time, Jesus is there and he's talking to the crowds and some people have a question for him. It's about something bad that happened. Um, the Roman governor of the time, Pontius Pilate, maybe you've heard of him, he went and he killed a bunch of people who were going to make their sacrifices at the temple. And that's what the people asked Jesus about. Take a look. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. He killed them while they were making their sacrifice. Jesus answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, 
you too will all perish. Back when Jesus was around, there was this idea that most people held to. They thought if you did something, sorry, if something really bad happened to you, it must have been because you did some like big bad sin somewhere in your past, and and now God was judging you for it. That's why you're going through this suffering. But notice there, Jesus says, no, that's not right. The people that Pilate killed, or, or even those other people that Jesus talks about who, who, where, where a tower fell on them, those people weren't any worse than the rest of us. That is not why they died. Unfortunately for us here, the question we want to ask, we, the, the thing we want Jesus to tell us is, well then why did they? But he doesn't do that. Instead, he says, we shall all take one thing away from this. And here's the takeaway. Jesus says, we need to repent. Which just means we need to turn back to God. What's going on here? What's the connection that Jesus is making? Let me tell you about some people in, in, in our world today. There's not many of them. They estimate there's only a few hundred of them. These are people who live in our world, but they don't feel any pain. Their nervous system doesn't work, so they can do things that for you and I would make us go, ow, and sit down for a long time. It has no effect on them. That kind of sounds nice at first, doesn't it? But actually, it's a big problem. Because they don't know when they're hurt. The natural mechanism in the body that says stop, it, it, it's not there. And so they don't know to stop. And historically, at least, people with these kind of conditions die young because they just don't know they need to stop and rest and recover. And Jesus is saying, that's kind of like what's going on here. There's... There's suffering, there's evil in our world, not because God enjoys it, but because the world is broken and cursed. So when we see this, when we feel this, it's, it's like a nervous system telling us something is wrong, something is out of whack here. It should remind us of what's happened in the past and it tells us that we need to repent, to stop living in revolt against God, to stop ignoring Him, but to turn back to Him. God promises to deal with evil and suffering. And we might ask, we, we, we might ask come on God, why not get on with the program? Do it sooner. And God hasn't told us His reasons why, but... But we get a couple of hints, and one of them is this. God is giving us time. Time to do that, to repent, and to turn back to Him, and to restore our relationship with Him again. Perhaps today, that's what He's calling you to do. If that's you, can I say, don't wait, friends. Do it today. Come and talk with me afterwards. I'd love to be with you there as you do that. Can I play devil's advocate for a moment here though? 
God's promised, right, he'll deal with evil and suffering. We've seen his great renovation plans for the end of time. He's going to get rid of death and mourning and crying and pain. He hasn't done it yet. So here's the question. How can we be sure that he will? What confidence do I have that God will actually do something in the end? Because anyone can say they'll do something, right? I can tell you, oh yeah, you know, if I own this place that we're living in now, all these things we'd fix up, we'd do this, that, and the next thing, and yeah, it'd be great. But, but the truth is, I'm not real good at that kind of stuff, and I'm just as likely, if I did try, I'm just as likely to stuff it up and not fix anything and make it worse. So, you see, anyone can say they can do something, but how do we know they actually can? How do we know here that God will do what he's promised? The Bible's answer, in one word, is this. Jesus. There's three things about Jesus that should give us confidence, friends. The first is this. Jesus comes into our world. See, Jesus existed in eternity past, in perfection. Jesus lived in heavenly glory forever ago. But he stops, and 2,000 years ago, he stepped in, put on human flesh, and entered into our mess. We've got a new king, Charles, Charlie III. He's lived in, he's, his whole life has been one of luxury, right? Can you imagine Charlie changing things up a bit and, say, going to live in a housing commission block? Couch surfing amongst his people? Of course not. No. I mean, he'd never do that, would he? It's, it's preposterous. But that's exactly what Jesus does. He leaves his throne of glory and he lives amongst us in the mess, in the brokenness, in the suffering. And he does it not just to experience it, but to identify with us to live the real human experience, God with us, God suffering with us. Here's why you can have confidence that God will come through with his promise, friends. Because Jesus has been with us in the mess. He cares about this. Jesus comes into our world, and when he does, Jesus also brings a taste of the new creation, of God's renovation plans for the world. Um, that is, Jesus tells us what God is going to do, but then he also shows us very vividly. We got Jake to read a part of the Bible up here earlier on. And, and as he read, did you hear what Jesus did? As a guy who was possessed by a demon, Jesus, Je- Jesus healed him. There was a woman who had a fever. Jesus healed her. Then the townspeople were all, all their sick and Jesus healed the, the, the sicknesses, the diseases, the illnesses. I mean, just for a moment, imagine being there that day and seeing all of this happen. I'm not sure what you think about Jesus and miracles. And if you want to chat about this later, come and talk to me. But do but you see what we've got here? It's, it's the new creation. It's the end. The, the, the great renovation plans of God are breaking through now into our world through Jesus. It's the... A glimpse of what it's like with the end of pain and suffering and sadness and misery. Friends, I want to say, 
Have confidence that God will do what he's promised. Have confidence because he can do this. Jesus has already given us a taste of what it's like. Third thing, have confidence because Jesus went to the cross. In his last days, Jesus experienced evil and suffering firsthand, very pointedly. The leaders of the day, they arrested him on false charges because of petty jealousy. He was found guilty in a sham trial. His closest friends abandoned him. Roman soldiers beat him up to within an inch of his life. The crowds of people who seemed to accept him suddenly turned against him. He was sentenced to death despite the highest ranking official knowing he was innocent. And he was crucified. A gruesome and agonizing death. But that is not the worst of it. As Jesus hung on the cross, he suffered the full judgment and wrath of God. Not because he had done wrong, he had not, but because we had. The sin and the curse, from right back at the start of the Bible in Genesis, the sin and the curse was put on Jesus' shoulders. He carried the weight of the great problem of humanity on him. And he deals with it. He does away with it. Before I said, if something is going to be done about suffering in the world, something needs to happen to me. But Jesus stepped in and he took it on, his, on himself, so I don't. He deals with it. He does away with it. Be confident, friends. Jesus deals with the problem, with the brokenness of this world. So he is the one who can guarantee what is to come. Who can guarantee there'll be no more sickness or death or mourning or pain. So what do we do from here then? Quickly, two things. Firstly, when we're faced with evil and suffering, we might feel like we want to turn from God. God, why are you letting this happen It's not fair, and we turn and walk from him. What we've heard today should remind us, God actually hates this more than me. And he's done something about it, even though it cost him Jesus. So rather than turn from God, can I suggest that we turn to God? It's hard, and we can... God is big enough to take our our cries of grief. But don't turn from him, friends. Turn to him. Secondly, second thing, look to Jesus. This is especially, if I want to say look into Jesus, especially if you're not totally convinced of him yet. If you're not sure uh, that you would put your faith in him, that you would follow him, look into Jesus. It all hinges on Jesus, actually. God is giving you time. Someone say, check out Jesus. Maybe that means talking to someone from church here that you trust. Talk to me if you'd like to. But we'd love to help you think this through. But also I want to say, come to the Life Series. Uh, The Life Series is happening in November uh, 7.30 for five Monday nights at the Highbury Hotel. 
come along. We're just going to go through the basics of, 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 of Christianity. Who is Jesus? What does he say? Can I trust it at all? There'll be food, there'll be drinks. You can say as much or as little as you like. It's pretty relaxed. Come and check it out. Look into Jesus. This, it all hinges on him. God is giving you this time. Look into Jesus. Jesus is the key. Because he is the one that gives us confidence. Confidence that God will deal with this problem. He'll deal with evil and suffering. So after all, perhaps God is worth believing in. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your promise of no more sickness, no more mourning, no more grieving, no more anxiety or pain or cancer, no more suffering and evil. I want to pray for all of us now who are here that you would give us confidence, a growing confidence in this because of Jesus. No matter where we're at, help us take the next step of trusting him and giving our lives to him, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.